It's time for Crack the Customer Code, the ultimate podcast to help you unlock the secrets to understanding and connecting with your customers. You know, Adam, one of the things we love to do on the show is look into our crystal ball, right? Yeah, we do. We are like, I don't know, uh, Nostradamus-like, I think. (laughs) And today, we're not only talking about kind of what's next, but we're talking about the customer of the future. And I think it's a really interesting way to frame who are we going to be, you know, providing these experiences for and what are they expecting in the future? I think that my personal hologram is going to interact with your personal hologram, and that's all we really need to know. I think you might be right. I think, I mean, wouldn't that be great? Does <laughs> that not, mean I have a clone? <laughs> it's not all we need to know. It's funny, you know, I did like a, uh, at the end of the last year, I did a predictions uh, post for the decade. I really got, uh, mm-hmm. went out there. I was like, what's the next, what are the three game changers for the next 10 years? And I talked a little bit about uh, the customer themselves, but in a different way, you know, Blake's really looking at the whole experience with the, what the customer's expecting and all that. And I think what's really interesting about, you know, the, the work Blake's doing and the book and some of the insights that you're going to hear in this uh, interview is just how much expectations are being set in certain industries that carry over to other industries, how much the customer of the future is actually the customer of the present, mm-hmm. but it's the customer of the present in Netflix and is the insurance company, as we talk about, or, you know, your um, auto dealer, are they mm-hmm. keeping up with all the expectations that, you know, we, we always talk about the Amazon effect, right? That right. are they keeping up with those expectations and that uh, desire for, you know, hassle-free, frictionless, and as uh, Blake points out, thoughtful experiences. Yeah. yeah, it's a good conversation. I think we should get to it. Let's do it. So Blake Morgan, our guest today, is a leader in customer experience. She is a keynote speaker and customer experience futurist and author of two books on customer experience. Her best-selling second book is called The Customer of the Future, 10 Guiding Principles for Winning Tomorrow's Business. Blake contributes to Forbes, the Harvard Business Review, and Hemispheres magazine. She's the host of the Modern Customer Podcast and a weekly customer experience video series on YouTube. She lives in the Bay Area with her husband, daughter, and their two dogs. Hey, Blake, we're so happy you're here with us today. Welcome. Hello, Jeannie and Adam. I am so excited to be back on the show. It's been a little bit since I've had the chance to chat with you all. Yeah, we're excited. Well, we are super excited to have you back. You've got a new book. It's very cool. And I'm just going to go straight into the topic of the book and ask you, who is the customer of the future and how do I make sure they know how to find me? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the customer of the future, she's already here. She is the customer who loves getting personalized music playlists for her workouts from Spotify. She's watching incredible on-demand content from Netflix She's buying stuff on the go from Amazon. She's organizing her life on her Apple iPhone or Mac computer. So she's already getting these extremely zero friction, incredible customer experiences from many of these companies are actually technology first companies. And then she goes over to her insurance provider, her healthcare provider, her cable provider, and she's getting terribly disjointed experiences that really make her life harder to make the organization's life easier. And so the customer of the future is interested in doing business with a company that is thoughtful, that really has thought ahead of her life, that has thought, 
well, what is she going through and how can we make her life easier? And so that's why I've put a stake in the ground on this idea of thoughtfulness that the company that serves as customer of the future, they actually compete on thoughtfulness because so many companies simply don't today. Because all of your listeners can probably recall a terrible customer experience they might have had <laughs> even in the last 24 hours where the afterward they just felt frazzled um, and frustrated. And so um, I believe that customer experience is truly the great leveler of our time, that it doesn't matter how small you are, if you compete on experience, if you break apart a legacy experience that most people just hate and rebuild it, there's no, there's nothing stopping you from disrupting an entire industry. And that's why I really think customer experience is so underappreciated by businesses as a competitive business strategy. And it doesn't matter how many years you've been in business, you can be disrupted by a little upstart that is competing on making people's lives easier and better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, you know, we talk about friction and hassle-free and all these things, but I love this idea of thoughtfulness. I love, I love how you're framing that. And so I think the next question I would have is if we want to be a thoughtful organization and we want to have that approach to our customers, how do we operationalize thoughtfulness? Like what, what are the tangible things we're doing to be that way, particularly if we're not Netflix and don't have that data set or that scale? And we are, uh, let's say, an insurance company with you know 25 employees. How, how are we bridging that gap? What I find fascinating is all of these resources that are at companies' fingertips, they're absolutely free. And in the book, the first three chapters don't talk about technology at all. They're about mindset. They are about culture. They're about leadership development. Because often where culture falls short, it's with the leaders, it's with managers. And I think executives are so focused on short-term returns that they don't think about how important culture is. And they're so focused on sales and they don't realize that the power really sits with their uh, midline managers. And those midline managers, they're, they're experiencing that trickle-down effect of the culture from the senior leader. So I hate when senior executives believe that the customer experience should be amazing, but they don't take the time. They don't talk about it. They don't uh, care about it. And so I think, like for example, I went to Amazon. And I originally had a book deal to write about technology. You guys probably seen my content floating out there. A lot of it for a while was all about technology because I believed that technology was the difference. The case studies I just mentioned, Netflix, Spotify, Amazon, Apple, like these are technology first companies. I even had a book deal with HarperCollins to write a book about customer experience technology. But I started doing my interviews and the CTOs I would interview didn't want to talk to me about technology. For example, I clearly remember the day I took the ferry from where I live in Alameda uh, across the bay to downtown San Francisco up into a skyscraper to meet with the CTO of Sephora, the makeup company. And his name is Ali Bauhauch. And Ollie and I sat in his corner office overlooking downtown San Francisco, and I started grilling him about their technology stack. And he did not want to talk to me about that. <laughs> he wanted to talk with me about a teenager who walks into a Sephora store, and she just doesn't want to have acne anymore. She's so mortified by her skin that all she wants is to cover that with amazing products. 
And so he's talking about these human experiences for both customers and employees. And I kept getting the same feedback that it's not really the technology because we often have the technology. It's the culture, the mindset, leadership development. Like I went up to Amazon and I had the chance to go behind the scenes and I was expecting to find this magic show, seeing bunnies <laughs> pulled out of hats behind the curtain, this uh, magician. But when I went up to Amazon, I was disappointed because all I found were extremely humble, hardworking people, very focused on the customer experience, no matter who I talked to. A head of logistics who went on 2 a.m. drives with the delivery people to understand how to create better efficiencies or even a, a young mom who managed a shipping department. And that's really the missing link for these companies is they're not like Amazon. They don't have a CEO who jumps out of bed excited to serve the customer in the morning. And so again, these are mostly free resources that companies overlook um, and it's a missed opportunity. So I totally agree that so much of this is around mindset and leadership and culture like that has to be the backbone of many of these organizations. One of the questions I have is around like, what do you do when you are one of those companies with a an older way of doing things? And that means that maybe the technology isn't where it needs to be. Maybe there are systems and processes in place for the employees that are really preventing a great customer experience like you've described. So instead of being a Spotify or a and Amazon, if you're, you know, the old school, uh, you know, mom and pop shop or the old school insurance company or B2B manufacturing, things that don't always have a straight line of this is what we do, this is who we deliver it to, and this is what we're what we're providing because it's complicated and really complex. Like, what do you recommend to those companies and those leaders who want to change their culture and their mindset, but it's it can feel kind of overwhelming and they're not the disruptors. They're the ones trying to fight off the disruptors. What do you say to those leaders? I think part of the problem is how they see themselves. Like a B2B manufacturing firm, I actually write about this in my book. I write about IoT and how much many of these B2B manufacturing firms are using sensors and IoT to create efficiencies in their factories. I think part of the problem is how when companies look in the mirror, what do they see? And I used to work at a Fortune 100 B2B software company, and I was an executive in customer service, and I'd sit through these meetings, and I mean, the jargon was just so bad. <laughs> like, if you were to sit, um, Jeannie and Adam, in on one of these customer service meetings, I think your eyes would be crossed by the end, <laughs> because just the level, the acronyms, oh yeah, like, you know, just being so in our heads and um, internal. And so I think the identity that we don't see ourselves as a disruptor, we don't see ourselves as innovative. That's the problem. Like it doesn't matter if you're in manufacturing or if you're an insurance company. Um, we've got to wake up in the morning understanding that we're shaping our own destiny and we cannot be limited by who we were in the past. But that's extremely hard to do. And I even recently spoke to uh, utility companies in Colorado, and the guy who hired me works for a software company that helps these utility companies <clears throat> become more digital to offer their customers more green products like 
for their um, EV vehicles, electric, uh, electric cars, and um, nest thermostats and things that are helping the environment. So to get these big utility providers to be more eco-friendly and more digital. And he told me that he has, even his own father, I think, worked for PG&E for 32 years. And it's just like, it's an, it's a business like that where people even like, in, they go into the industry because their parents were in it and mm-hmm. they don't leave these companies they are there for like 30, 40 years, but it doesn't matter. Um, I think the, uh, the reality is customers don't care. And you guys know this because you do the work. Customers don't care um, what your legacy is and how you did things before. And so we've got to be able to tear down the walls in order to achieve that velocity. And I think that's why these technology first, a lot of these younger companies, they don't have these legacies. They don't have these preconceived notions of how we do things. And so they're not afraid to tear everything up and start over. So again, back to mindset. How do we as a company see ourselves? Are we willing to tear down the establishment in order to rebuild? And that's a big piece of what I talk about in my book. Like the first few pages, I actually talk about a fish called a blind cave fish. And what's really unique about this fish, I know you guys are probably like, where is she? Oh, I, lo- I love this. I, lo- <laughs> no, I love, I love, I love examples from the outside. <laughs> Oh, yeah. good. Well, this example is from the outside, literally from a river, the Rio Grande <laughs> River, where these fish live. And what is amazing about these fish is that these fish are blind. But what is super duper amazing about these fish that live in caves is that they evolved over time to become blind, the entire species. Because when you live in a cave, eyesight is actually a huge drain on that fish's little body. And so the fish that are blind are actually 15% more energy efficient than the eye-seeing fish because the blind fish have more energy to forage for food and have blind cave fish dance parties or whatever they're doing <laughs> in those caves. Hey, if, you, hey, if, you've never been, if you've never been to one, they rock. <laughs> right. <laughs> So that's the message of these blind cavefish. We can be inspired by um, by this species because they were willing to do the unthinkable um, in order to simply evolve. And so we all know, like, life is moving so fast. Change is constant. Um, I mean, I'm a parent to a three-year-old. I've got another one on the way. Every day is different. You know, I, I'd like to think I'm in control all the time, but a little toddler will remind you that you're not. And, um, you know, life happens. So you've got to be willing to be on your toes. And these companies, it's just incredible how so many of these big companies we're just seeing disappear. I was in New York City um, a week and a half ago and I walked by Barney's. Like if you ever mm. watch, you guys ever watch Sex in the City? Yeah, of course. Of course. And you can't imagine that Barney's had like a going out of business sale. Oh, it's so weird. Bizarre. It is weird. It is weird. And Nordstrom just opened up in New York, which are really yeah, I actually walks by one of those Nordstrom concept stores is pretty mm-hmm. exciting. And where they just, they're just having, it's like a pop-up and you just mm-hmm. pick up your items or get them tailored. So, you know, Nordstrom, I'm actually interviewing Nordstrom on my podcast today oh, cool. about oh, what oh, they're cool. doing to innovate their logistics to get items to customers faster. Yeah. But these companies are fighting to survive and they are ripping up what was done before 
in order mm-hmm. to do that. So I think it's an exciting time for the three of us because we're watching all this stuff unfold. Um, knowing the secret sauce is the mindset, the customer experience, and seeing some companies getting it and other companies just simply not. Yeah. And I wonder what you would think. Uh, you know, one of the things I'm really just observing what's happening in retail and all that, it seems like there's a tipping point at which point it's too late. If you're not, if you don't catch on soon enough to try to evolve your model, because first of all, when you try to evolve your model, you may not get it right the first time. It is not necessarily uh overnight process to begin with. Uh, but it seems like there's a tipping point where the customers are just gone. You can't get them back if you don't evolve quickly. What do you think of that? Or have you seen any of that in your research or just your observation? Oh, absolutely. I mean, even the three of us, you know, we're customers. So you can imagine how many times will you let a company get it wrong before you uh, get up and leave? Um, you know, there's a stat from Forrester that companies that invest in customer experience are six time, have six times the profits of those who don't. So it's, it's really a no brainer, but many of these big companies, they're just struggling with the basics, like the table stakes where, um, as a customer, you're just having to do so much work. Like it's harder for me to find examples of companies that aren't making these common problem, common missteps, (laughs) like where you call one department and it, like at your bank and you called the checking department, you need to talk to the credit department. Um, it's just standard practice that uh, companies make their customers' life extremely hard in order to maintain their systems and how they operate. And um, they just don't get it. And it's just, even with like this very channel-centric approach, like I just wrote a story about a major airline, and I flew to London for my first pregnant speaking gig. Woo-hoo! <laughs> I was so sick. <laughs> I was like, uh, just don't throw up on stage and you'll be fine. If you, if, you need t- if you need tips on that, Blake, just give me a call. I'll help you. Okay. <laughs> um, and I flew to London and, you know, it wasn't too bad of the way there. On the way home, I um, if you ever go to London, sometimes you have to come back to the U.S. You have to fly through Frankfurt. And so I did, but my connection was a little bit late. And long story short, um, just a series of major miscommunications with their Twitter DM team because I, I was direct messaging with the social media team. Am I going to make my connection? Can you let me know about the Frankfurt airport? Like, Um, And I had promised my three-year-old I'd be home by Saturday evening. And, you know, with kids, like it breaks your heart. You don't want to spend one more moment away from them if you have a job where you have to travel. And I ended up sprinting. I told them I'm pregnant. I don't feel well. I I really hope to not have to sprint across the Frankfurt airport. Well, I did have to finally arrive at the gate. I've just made it. I'm so happy. I'm like almost in tears just because I'm stressed. I've got the pregnancy hormones going. <laughs> and the woman's like, okay, you can breathe. You know, you made it. And I text my husband, oh my gosh, this is so great. I made my flight. Let me tell you before this that I did have a business class flight because um, I don't, I wouldn't do this job pregnant flying all over the place unless I had these comforts. Um, because it is a hard job, as you guys know. And um, they quickly, a man came over to that first agent and told her, um, we've given her business class seat away and yeah. you can sit in economy. And I was, I said, came out like, how could you do that? Yeah. <laughs> and they said, um, 
do you even want a seat on this aircraft at all? Like they give me so much attitude. I was oh, so God. upset. And part yeah. of the other reason is I felt so nauseous. I wanted snack, like the food and business yeah. is better. I wanted the food. And yeah, so I proceeded to write an angry article on the flight home <laughs> that I waited <laughs> to publish. I couldn't tell anyone I was pregnant for, you know, you don't want to talk about it till the second trimester. Um, but again, this channel centric approach. So the point of the story is I had been communicating with the social media team privately. I had been talking with the agents and they had all assured me the agents, um, in the lounge for different airlines, but anyway, partner airlines. And, but by the time I got to the flight, the, the employees working the gate were not incentivized at all. And actually my husband called and found out that if these agents working at the gate give, um, give, don't give the seat away, the business class seat, and there's no one in that seat, they can be penalized, um, in their own roles. So they're not incentivized to do the best thing for the customer that's in front of them. And, uh, so I did write about it. I didn't name the airline because, you know, nice this is a small industry and a lot of my clients serve these big airlines and it's just, I'm old enough now where I've realized you don't kiss and tell, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I guess the, the point of the story was just that this, the channels, even though we have all these channels, a lot of them are no good because these companies aren't even sharing information. Um, the, the people on the ground are not empowered. The contact center is not empowered. No one's sharing data. So it's really pointless to even have so many channels. Yeah. And that's the thing, wow. unless they're, unless they're, it's fine. It's, it's a little bit semantics, but I was actually talking the other day, somebody asked me and I was like, you know, I don't really like the term Omni channel that much. And I know there's a whole set of meanings mm -hmm. behind it, but Omni means all. And I think it's, you know, you should only be focused on the channels that you can adequately scale and staff and mm -hmm. provide the, that you know, that true seamless experience too. And I think it uh, sounds like it, well, and it's you a, found it a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did see that article, Blake. So I feel for you. Um, and I had similar experiences with airlines. And I think the challenge, one of the biggest challenges right now is that one view of the customer. And mm -hmm. it seems like so many organizations are still really, really struggling with that. And if they could just get that part right, it seems like so many other things would fall in place for both the employee experience and the customer experience. Cause employees don't want to be there disappointing people all the time, except for that one dude you ran into with the attitude. Maybe he does. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to, he really wants to. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it sets a lot of things up when you can't see, you know, the customer perspective, the data, the feedback in real time and in one place. Right. That's a huge challenge yeah, for today. sure. So let's, you know, we've covered, this has been amazing because we've covered so much different ground. So let's, let's wrap up. I'm going to ask you one like final, like sound bitey uh, NBC news kind of question. <laughs> so if you're going to give organizations, leaders, like what's the one thing, I know it's not one thing, but what's the one thing that you would say to focus on to either prepare or start working now to uh, provide great customer experience and win the customer of the future, what would that be? I think we need a return to humility, to sitting in the contact center, to sitting with your lower level employees, walking into your stores, talking to customers, um, getting on the phone with customers. And the executives that don't do this 
are not going to be here, at least not in the long run. Because today requires obsessive attention to the facts, to the reality. Not how you believe reality is, but the actual reality on the ground that your employees are telling you and your customers are telling you. And so in the book, I actually write about what the modern leader needs to have as far as attributes. And one of the big things is humility, approachability. I mean, these are not things in the last 40 years anyone has really talked about. There's a very specific hierarchy at a company. I can even remember when I worked at this Fortune 100 company, it was like the senior executives, they were like movie stars. It was like, you kind of got nervous <laughs> like when you're yeah. around them because there was just so much, I don't, the, this like zeitgeist of hierarchy of you have no power, they have all the power. I mean, everybody puts their pants on the same way. I guess that's the one lesson I've learned as I've gotten older. And executives that don't see themselves uh, because of their title, and they're really focused on problem solving, on helping, empowering others. I know Pixar in my book, I write about Pixar and their leadership strategy is simply looking for gaps that undermine the culture, um, just kind of hands off, like letting things, not over managing the culture, but just looking, looking for hindering blocks and trying to get those out of the way so people can do their job. So again, this idea of humility, approachability, and then helping to empower your people to just simply get the work done with all this, without all this nonsense of, of um, legacy, of hierarchy, of this old style where the senior executives um, have all the power. Because often it's the lower level people that have all the data and information. I mean, they're the ones that are talking with customers every single day. But um, our companies aren't often set up for this type of free-flowing data and knowledge. Yep, that is the truth for sure. So, all right. So everybody needs to think about the customer of the future. And what are the best ways that they can reach out to you, Blake, and learn more about you? Okay. Well, I'd love to hear from anybody listening. You can go to my website at blakemichellemorgan.com. Send me a Blake at... I have the most ridiculous email. I regret if you ever start your own business and you have a common name, don't throw your middle name in there. But my email, if you have a pen, is Blake at BlakeMichelleMorgan.com. And um, I would love to connect with your audience. Thank you guys so much for having me back. I hope to run into you soon at a conference. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And thank you, Blake. Yeah, be fun. And I tell you, when this episode goes live, we are going to try to get hashtag cavefish dance party trending. We're going to see what we can do. <laughs> Yes, we need t-shirts. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, thanks so much, Blake. Right. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Blake. So one of the things that's really interesting about this discussion is something Blake mentioned about, and I, I forgot the terminology she used, forgive me, but essentially this idea that you know these companies have these mindsets mm-hmm. about what their experience is, what they do, what their model is, all these types of things, right? Their business model. And there's actually a, t- a term in psychology that's something called mental models. Mm-hmm. And it's the same principles. We, we do this as individuals as well, is we, ha- we have these models of what a certain behavior is or what a certain you know, action in an environment is, things like that. It, there's actually a study of people, I don't want to get all macabre here, in the trade centers during the attack and how following a mental model that came from the first attack back in 93 actually, you know, probably was not a good thing in that situation. Uh, they followed mm. a model because this was a different situation. And, 
you know, I think that's, it's very powerful personally. Like I think a lot of growth really isn't dependent on us trying to understand what our models are, what our constraints are and trying to break through them. And that applies almost perfectly to organizations as well. It's hmm. tr- figuring out this is what our, what our business does today. This is who our customers are today. Mm-hmm. What are we doing for the customers that are going to be coming to us tomorrow? What are their expectations? And what does our business and our experience look like right. when that happens? Right. Well, and I think it's so easy to to become complacent about that, to think like, well, our customers are still shopping with us today. So what what do we need to care about the future? Because it's working today. And um thinking that, you know, we're not one of those companies. We're not Amazon. We're not innovative. That is just, I mean, I say to my kids speak all the time. For, speak for yourself, Jeannie Walters. No negative self-talk, right? <laughs> right? I say this all the time. Like if you say all those things to yourself, then you start believing it. And so I think it's a great point that it really is about who do they see when they look in the mirror. Embrace your Stuart Smalley. <laughs> Millennials, you're going to have to look it up. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. That's a... That's a B-side if I ever heard one. Oh, um. well, no, that's, um, yeah, Saturday Night Live. How can yeah. anything from Saturday Night Live be a B-side? Well, that one was from a few years ago, let's Oh, say. yes. <laughs> B-side, yeah, that's from uh, your old phonograph with the hand crank. Did I ever tell you we had one of those in our house? No, but I don't, I don't disbelieve you. <laughs> we did. I know. It's not wow. because we're that, I'm that much older than Eugenie. Don't go there. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but seriously, I think it's truly, I, I think this idea of focusing on the customer future is incredibly important. I think what Blake's talking about, that idea of trying to anticipate what the customer of the future is and you know the principles she has researched and found, I think are incredibly important for all kinds of organizations and that, um, you know, you got to be looking forward and you got to be uh, to get into the old cliche a little bit uh, skating to where the puck is going, not where it's mm-hmm. been. Right. Yeah. Wayne Gretzky. Now we're yep. quoting all over the place. Hey, the fact that I know any kind of hockey quotes, America, I know. I'm just saying. I'm pretty, I'm pretty impressed. I'm and pretty that's impressed. my, that's my only one for the record. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's go to where this puck is going. There you go. <laughs> oh, <God>. uh, <laughs> Thank you for listening to Crack the Customer Code and for putting up with all of our <laughs> shenanigans and shenanigans. Yes. Crack the Customer Code is a proud member of C-Suite Radio, so be sure to check out all the great business content at csuiteradio.com and csuitetv.com. We so appreciate you spending your valuable time with us. If you like what you hear, please go rate, review, send to uh, various people by Carrier Pigeon, however you want to let people know about our show. And don't we forget, really appreciate it. hashtag it, ca- uh, Cavefish Dance Party. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even say it. <laughs> dance Party. There you go. I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can learn more about me and our journey mapping programs, customer experience training, and speaking at experienceinvestigators.com. And I'm Adam Pork, and you can learn all about me, my keynote speaking customer service training and workshops, and of course, CX advisory at customersthatstick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.